Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theater Happy Hour, your weekly podcast with orchestrations and old fashions. Mmm, delicious. Um, what you drinking today, to- Tommy? Today, I'm drinking champagne from the high seas, of course. Was it made of seawater? Yes, pure. I'm drinking. I'm drinking pure seawater as well. Well, all right. We'll, we'll see. We'll see who gets intoxicated first. Yeah, I mean, have you seen? Um, was it Muppets Treasure Island? Uh, of course. Do they not? Is it not when they drink seawater? That's when they go cabin fever. Also, I was maybe seven. So, mm. oh my god, you've not seen it since? No. <gasps> Love led us here, right back to where we belong. <laughs> Followed a star. Oh, I didn't know you were oh, you were Kermit that, the Frog. That's not a bad Kermit. That was a really good Kermit. Kermit. I was convinced for a second that I was oh, doing a podcast with a puppet Kermit. frog. Kermit, Kermit, that's pretty good. That's good. <laughs> I've got a career. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Oh, uh, Kermit, the next Jim Hansen. Hiya! That was good. <laughs> anyway, um, I've got a quiz question. Yes, you do. Um, and also, we're so good at quiz questions. Oh, man. This was a hard uh, and possibly this was a, incorrect quiz question. It may have been incorrect. It also may have been completely correct. I, th- I still think, looking at our language that we used here, <laughs> yeah. I think we've covered we used, all of We used bases. enough gotchas in there that it's fine. <laughs> exactly. I think one person got it right. Yes. That I saw. Who was it? What was his name? What was his name? What was his name? What was his name? Name, 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 name. At Mr. Isaac's Books. Good job, Isaac's Books. Thank you. Um, got it right. Well done. Um, so, do you want to know what it is? I do. Did you know <laughs> that John Williams, famous film composer, worked arranging the score for the 1971 version uh, of the film of Fiddler on the Roof? Uh, I did know that. 
Fantastic. Well, did you know that, to our knowledge, Tommy, <laughs> um, that he's only ever arranged one other song from musical theatre. So that was arranged <laughs> one other song from musical theatre. <laughs> and our knowledge has expanded since then. Exactly. Um, <laughs> did you know that this song is the title song of this week's musical? What could it possibly be? It's Anything Goes. Do you hear that playing? Yes, we hear that playing. Do you know who's playing? No, who is that playing? Well, it's Gabriel, Gabriel playing. Gabriel, Gabriel saying, Will you be ready to go when I blow my horn? Blow, Gabriel, blow. Come on and blow, Gabriel, blow. Now I'm willing to trim my lamp So blow, Gabriel, blow Oh, I was low, Gabriel, blow. Why is it anything goes, Tommy? What the hell does that mean? It's, it's obviously not, because it's obviously the sword and the priest or everything. <laughs> musical that John Williams. John Williams' other popular wrote. musical. Um, no, it's the second Indiana Jones film, I believe, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. That starts yeah. right off with a big old song and dance tap I thought, number <laughs> i thought that was like everyone i thought everyone knew that i thought i thought this was going to be like one of those like really easy ones uh, but no the chinese version of anything goes is not well known well and can you imagine walking into like the first what the first indiana jones movie is a huge success it was just called indiana jones before they renamed it raiders of the lost ark by the second time the yep. second one came out and you're so excited to see the second one and you walk in yep. And all of a sudden, there's glitter and feathers everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's so odd. It's really oh, odd, it's, but I'm into I it. I love it so much. Why not? That is the cup of a carpenter. Love that line. Love that line so much. Um, this musical... Anything Goes. Anything Goes. Um, it's had a history and a half, Tommy. It's, it's the musical Ooh. in a lot of ways, don't you think? Yeah, by the way, in so many ways. Yeah. Um, so written by the legendary Cole Porter mm-hmm. of 1930s fame. Mm-hmm. You think about the 1930s, you're thinking about Cole Porter. Yeah, if you, like, pretty doing. much if you've heard a song from that time, you, you have like a one in three chance that he wrote it. Yeah. Um, and then the original book uh, was written by uh, Mr. Guy Bolton <laughs> and P.G. Woodhouse. P.G. Woodhouse. Are you a P.G. Woodhouse fan, Tommy? <laughs> I have a t-shirt with uh, P.G. Woodhouse's face on it. Um, Why? <laughs> I do not. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, do you not even know who he is? He's the book writer of Anything Goes. He wrote Jeeves and Wooster. Oh, I know what Jeeves and Wooster is. Okay. Exactly. Ex- Jeeves and Worcester, a fantastic then TV show. Why did the Why did the original book of Anything Goes? Oh, well, suck? sorry, the, the, it wasn't a TV show originally. Oh, but well, to me, you know. it's a TV yes. show. Um, why did the original? Well, it probably didn't at the time. I mean, so the story is apocryphal. No one, I I doubt it's actually true. 
but it's the mm. sentiment behind it is true enough that anything goes when through so many plot rewrites that there was some late night meeting between the production team where they were like, well, you know, and they like finally cut whatever the song was that it used to be named after. It's called Crazy Week yeah. or Hard to Get before it was called Anything Goes. And someone asked another person, well, what are we going to call it now? And the other person says, well, at this point, Anything Goes. And then they named it Anything Goes. Is it true? Which Probably I not. I think that's a beautiful tale, <laughs> personally. Um, so yeah, so we're ta- we're way back in 1934. Yeah, often dreg back then um, at the height of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. But you know, poverty aside, um, it still ran for 420 performances. Yeah, wi- which is wildly a successful lot for the time for those days. Yeah, exactly. That was like a stalwart. Yeah. Um, and then it popped across the pond in 35 for 261 performances, mm-hmm. which again, it's pretty damn good. And then it's been revived thousands of times. Four, I think four million. I think we're on the fourth million. <laughs> no, it's had... Um, as of this year. What? Maybe four, three or four on-off Broadway revivals? Um, yeah. I'd say like four like major revivals across the musical theatre oeuvre. Yeah. And then a couple... Yeah. F- film versions a television version popular show very popular show um and like you say it almost it's almost as if it just like it just got in there early yep do you know what i mean with like a little flash like musical theater yeah before musical theater became exactly musical theater do you know what i mean yeah um (laughs) so obviously contains the music of cole porter Mm um but Unlike the lovely fancy book musicals of the day, um, with their lovely infused songs, uh-huh. um, we're just dipping into Mr. Cole Porter's repertoire uh-huh. here. It's um, it's a jukebox musical before that was a thing. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and yeah, let's. I mean, let's talk about the plot. Let's say the the kind of mainish plot because obviously there's different plots <laughs> <laughs> so no, i mean i think that's the thing to talk about first the plot of this show whoops barely matters if that so much so that every time it's redone or revived the plot's a little different um yes. and they in a way to try and make because people come to see the show for the cole porter songs and the dance numbers that go with them but the cole porter songs have very little if anything to do with the plot of the show and so exactly. it's like every time you go see it it's a slot machine and you never know which way the dials are going to arrange this time <laughs> absolutely absolutely um and i find that quite interesting because they all kind of work yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I mean, all, I, to, 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 as much as they could work, you know what I mean? It's not like, right. oh, wow, this is the best book musical ever. Um, yeah. But somehow these songs are able to kind of slot themselves in in different ways. They've got different formation changes. Yeah. Um, and like tossed around between different characters. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. But so. It is really, really interesting. What, what is the basic plot of anything else? <laughs> the basic plot. Well, we are on the SS American. I hope. Um, and we are sailing from uh, New York to England. Is that right? Is that the right direction? I don't know. I was going to say we're sailing from it doesn't matter to who cares. Um. <laughs> no, it is. It is to London. We're going to London. Um, and we have Billy, who's a stowaway. Mm-hmm. And we've got Reno, who is a... Um, a Sweeney evangelist turned <laughs> nightclub, nightclub singer. As, as, as what happens, as that's you know, that's, you know that's how it goes. 
That's actually right. actually in I've been doing some 1930s 1940s research recently. That's actually a surprisingly common plot line in right, a bunch exactly. of different is, movies. Is the world kind of woke up yeah. to the subversive? People were like, "Hang on, I want to do that. That's a lot more fun." So we're we're totally down with you. Um, and there's a gangster on board mm-hmm. who's public enemy number thirteen. Right. Um, his little pal who's either called Arama or Bonnie, depending, depending upon, upon which version you do, depending on when you see it. As that's, you know, I haven't done the forensics of this, but I wonder, like, mm-hmm. when that changed, and my 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 pet theory would be like, oh, you know, if we modify this Cole Porter lyric just enough, we'll get a really good line, but we really need it to rhyme with Bonnie. <laughs> I don't think so, because there's, they never even say anyone's name. That's true. In any of the, the things. I genuinely don't know what that is. I don't know if they're just like, Irma... Who the hell's called Erma? Let's go for Bonnie. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. And someone out there will know, because that's the, that's the kind of show that it is. Yes. So if you do know, please let, let us, us know. know. Why Irma? Why Bonnie? Why? Um, and we've also got Evelyn Oakley, mm-hmm. um, Miss Hope Harcourt. They're engaged to be married. Um, Hope's mother, Evangeline. Um, and depending on the version, we also have Elijah Whitney. <laughs> Um, as well and just lots of fun stuff yeah. happens I, do basically you know, do you know what experiment i want to do i want to do like a, a post show billy on the street style interview with people going to see anything goes as they uh-huh. come out of the show and be like so you just saw anything goes uh-huh can you tell me the plot <laughs> because yeah my bet you t- none of them <laughs> Well, you'd be there a little while, I think. You'd be like, well, there was a part with um, <laughs> the then, dog, the bit where they shaved the dog. Right. Then there was the part with the sailors yeah. flirting with the women. And then, then there was the part with... With the Harvard the, rowing crew. And then... Yep. <laughs> then there was the naked man and the women. <laughs> right. And then they and then sing was, And then they sing about trumpets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I'm pretty sure there was a religious ceremony oh, at one point. Oh, God. Um, and then everyone got married and all was well. The plot of this show um, is not good. Ex- oh, and there's something about a bluebird in there. Uh, just to, for, for fun. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. Is it's like, it was in, in the days of capers. Yeah. Um, and, it, it's, and it very much fits that. Yeah. And mold. it's also, it's very much from the kind of bifurcated vaudevillian presentation of the time. Like we're, we're, exactly. are we post Oklahoma? No. So we're, we're before Oklahoma. We're before the integrated book music musical. Um, So like the the fact that this, that anything goes made it past the, you know, game changer that was Oklahoma and gets revived so much speaks to the songs in it. Cause that's the only reason people do it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it is it's a it's very easy to do. Yeah. I feel, um, and it is a lot of fun. I've actually been in it, Thomas. Good for you. Did you play the boat? <laughs> Thank you. No, I played the bass sailor. <laughs> that would be the bass sailor, um, and I thoroughly recommend the bass sailor. Yeah, um, in the Beaumont version, a good a good track. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Some great harmony parts. Yeah, lots particularly of, all through the night. Mm. Lots of lots of character development. Oh, so much. Let me tell you about the character development um, of, of my, my role. Oh, wait, I don't think you have time because we need a musical transition.
So let me tell you about the <laughs> character development of my role. Um, so started off heterosexual um, and in love with Irma, because I, I did the Irma verge. Um, slowly through her rejection, I turned gay. You know, I bet you... Not my direction, the direction of a director. I bet you Guy Bolton so. and P.G. Woodhouse, that, that's what they were aiming for, really. To be honest, I think Cole Porter thoroughly would have agreed with it. Um, so yeah, and all the sailors got together in the end, and that's quite nice, isn't it? It's quite nice because Irma was so rejecty. Um, okay, Tommy, I've got a special treat for you. I'm so excited about this, Jimmy. Yeah, so we we teased this last week, guys, um, and we've got a special guest. Um, I would say appearance, but he's not here anymore. Um, we did some <laughs> pre-recording. Sounds so sad. I know, he's gone. He's no longer with um, us. No. Yeah, no, he still is. Um, and it is Mr. Dan Glover, who is uh, MD over in my neck of the woods. Um, MD meaning musical director, not, I don't know, something else <laughs> that it could mean. Um, menacing dictator. And he, menacing, yeah, he could be a menacing Meningital dermatitis. M- Mugly doo doo. So he's a Mugly um, anyway, So he's a Mugly doo doo and um, recently uh, just finished musically directing Anything Goes. So let's, who better to talk to than a professional? Uh, right. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's what my doctor keeps saying. Um, right. Exactly. Um, so, shall we hear from him? Let's. Across the gravel, the more I sail the sea, the more I feel convinced of the fact New York's the town for me. Its crazy skyline is right in my line, and when I'm far away, I'm able to bear it for several hours. Then I break down and say Take me back to Manhattan Take me back to New York I'm just longing to see once more My little home on the hundredth floor Can you wander on? Okay, hey Dan. Hey Jimmy. Hey there. How's it going? Yeah, great, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Are you? <laughs> I'm so I'm so well. You're so well. You're yep. so well. You're looking really well. <laughs> um so Dan the man. Um we go way back. We do? Yep. Um way, way back many centuries ago. Yeah. Not long after the Bible began. Yep. <laughs> I mean, a while, a while. You need to get Bible used began. to my uh, stagey, podcast persona. Sorry, and <laughs> uh, all of my stagey quotes. Yes. Uh, so, what have we done? We, um, well, we did a uni together. Yeah, we, we were at we university, university uh, in Edinburgh and did many, many shows. Uh, notably, Assassins. Yeah, Edinburgh Fringe, twenty twelve. Yeah, I think. And Was how it? many stars did we get for that then? Uh, I think we got five stars. We got five stars. Yeah. Broadway baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was great fun. It was really good, really wasn't good it? Time. It was good. Yeah. And also that was, 
was that your first proper indie thing? I think it was, yeah. I'd sort of like done a bit of conducting and assisting and playing in shows mm-hmm. before then. But I think that was my first MD job. Yeah, like sole MD. Yeah. You're in charge of everything. Yeah. Okay. Because it, it was my first directing as well. Mm-hmm. So on paper, yeah. that should have gone very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. No, it was good. <coughs> we it were was very weird. fortunate to have like, an amazing cast um, and sort of supportive producers and yeah and yeah sort of made it made it work for that venue absolutely more had a great and, time mm-hmm. and then we did the scottish premiere of in the haze as you like to yeah. <laughs> forever and ever yeah. um which was also very good yeah Lo- yeah lots of fun Boo. and so that was yeah two years <coughs> later wasn't it uh-huh. there were sort of like bits and pieces in between that yeah other other shows but yeah that was our next Venture the next big in, um, and then you just went off and did and it. Here I am, yeah. And here you are. <laughs> um, so tell, yeah, tell us what you're up to at the moment. Uh, so I'm currently the assistant MD on the Wedding Singer UK tour. Um, ooh, so, ooh yeah. resigning so, across the world. So we're in the lovely Glasgow King's Theatre this week, having a grand old time. Yes, you are. Um, they've actually let me be in charge for two weeks, which I have mixed feelings about, but. That's Have fine. fun. Yeah, yeah so exactly. That's all good. Um, and if you're in, so where, where are you going? Where are you touring next? Obviously, so, you missed Glasgow, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So Bradford, then a week off, and then we do like Nottingham, Manchester, Liverpool. That's like the next stint, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, so like one week in each venue. But then you're coming back up to Scotland again, aren't yes, you? Yes. So in June, we do Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Inverness. I can't remember exactly when, but yeah. Excellent. So all the fun. all the hits. All the, yeah. Um, so there you go, love UK fish. So much fun. Yeah? Yeah. It's because you're from Scotland, though. Yeah, true. And Scotland's better. Um, but we're not a political podcast, then, so <laughs> take that away. Um, so yeah, if you're in the UK, go see it. It's yeah, got Ray Quinn yeah. in it, right? It's got Ray Quinn in it. It's got John Robbins in it. All these Americans are like, what are you talking about <laughs> with your Ray Quinn? No, it's great. It's a, it's a really like high-energy... Mm-hmm fun production yeah and we sort of yeah george the the md did new orchestrations and they sound great and the cast sound great and yeah the choreo is mind-bogglingly good Uh uh-huh and it's first time definitely first time it's toured in the uk yeah it had well it did a brief it had quite an unsuccessful um i can't remember if it was a tour or just a run in town Uh um a few years ago with i think I can't remember who was in it because I can't recall that uh, ever being a production up here. Before. No, I don't. I think it's it didn't do well, basically. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, well, yeah, this seems to be this tour seems to be doing pretty well and and selling. So amazing. We're all happy. Yeah, it's a good fun show. Uh, we'll put the link to the trailer in the the show notes. Great. So all can watch. But why have I got you here today? <laughs> Still asking myself this? that question. Exactly. Um, because I just did production of anything goes you did London, and you did what, what you're chatting about today that is indeed what we're chatting about today so um well tell us uh a little bit about what your production was all about like what what is what did you choose what one did you know so um so the, the production i worked on was at um, a venue called upstairs at the gatehouse mm-hmm. in north london and um, it's like a small kind of lovely family run fringe theater um, and they basically do, they receive a lot of small plays and they produce their own, one one time a year, once a year, they produce their own show. And they do like 
their, their aim is to produce sort of a big budget musical spectacular in a very small space. So yeah. it only seats about, I'm going to get this wrong, I think it's like 80 people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's like a little theatre above a pub. Yeah, lovely, lovely place. So this year they did, well, last year they did Anything Goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we based it on the 1962 Off-Broadway edition. Because mm-hmm. Anything Goes is obviously one of those shows that's been through so many different revivals and alterations and uh, and stuff like that. But Absolutely. yeah, so we based it on the 62 version. Um, yeah. There we go. There we go. It um, happened. It was great. Yeah. So it had like a small cast, cast of 12. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously for Anything Goes, that's quite a job to, to sort of take those big dance numbers and that big spectacle down to a smaller size. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had, yeah, a wonderful choreographer, Chris Whitaker, who like lots of great tap stuff. and It was really good. Was good the choreographer was really yeah. incredible. I was there. You're there. I was there in the audience. Um, and yeah, it was amazing actually. And it was very interesting to see it um, in a thrust stage. Yes. So if you know, if any of the listeners out there know kind of London theatres, the guys is kind of like a baby Southwark. Yeah. Do you know what of. I mean? In that respect, that yeah. it's... it's a, Yeah, the space is very versatile. They, they can sort of... Yeah, they, they've done a lot of different things. So it's not there. always thrust. No, it's not. In fact, when I originally went up there and, and had like the first production meeting, they had a play in there. Right. And it was like pros style. But they literally built a revolve in the middle of the, of of the room. Why not? And yeah, so the, the set span around. Excellent. We did not do that. No, you did not. Um, there was but, no need. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's, it's a very versatile space and they... That's yeah. great. Well, this time it's it looked things. like a little baby Southwark. Yeah. Which is quite cute. And Hopefully it looked like a ship. That was the idea. Of course it did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like an avenue. Yeah. I guess that makes sense for where you were. So um, the band were up um, on the balcony. On the stern. The stern of the ship. Yeah. In your beautiful uh, tuxes. <laughs> yep. It was lovely. It was yeah. very Titanic. Thanks. And that's what you're going for, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> unfortunate choice of, of ship of choice. That's okay. It, you know, it was nice at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to know a bit about what you did in terms of your actual work as an MD to prepare for this show. So I, yeah, I took on the the job um, and agreed to basically the, the issue with with doing a musical at that venue, um, which they have every year, is obviously reducing the, the band size down to something that can fit in that space. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we had a band of six. Um, yeah, cast of 12, band of six. So my job was to reorchestrate the score to, to fit six players, mm-hmm. um, which was a fairly mammoth task. I mean, so how big is like the original orchestra supposed to so be? So there, there are... There are two versions basically. You get given there's like a combo orchestration which is like nine, but it's already is it nine? It might be less than that. Mm-hmm. But it's already quite heavily cut down, and there's a lot of bits missing. Okay. So I sort of went back to like the later editions of the score, and um, to like the Beaumont edition, which is yeah. the eighty-eight, um, the slightly bigger orchestration, which I think is like a band of seventeen or something. Okay. So I went back to that and took what was already in the score and in the combo version, just kind of tried to do my own thing with uh-huh. so my um my idea my sort of vision was to to keep the jazz style more uh prevalent than the like musical theater style if that mm-hmm. makes any sense mm-hmm. at all 
because um, obviously Cole Porter is a very jazz influenced composer mm-hmm. um, like it's quite big bandy it's quite sort of uh, yeah it's quite Broadway but I wanted to go back to the slightly jazzier bluesier kind of side of it because mm-hmm. that obviously suits a slightly smaller band um, and um, the the whole idea was that because having the band on stage the idea would be that we would be kind of the ship's band yeah so it would be you know playing for the entertainment of the guests partly uh-huh. um, so I sort of so I kept it quite so we went piano double bass and drums as like the core like this like, kind of jazz trio sound and um, so there were a few moments where we literally just reduced it down to that and mm-hmm. gave it that sort of nightclub kind of uh, 20s vibe yeah um, and then I had a, a reed tripler so she played flute clarinet two saxes actually so yeah quadrupler mm-hmm. and then a trumpet as well and a keys too to kind of fill out uh-huh. um, like some of the big, for the bigger numbers the explosive and, yeah. dance numbers yeah yeah. so that was yeah that was the idea uh-huh. and um, I think it, it helps it helps just kind of evoke the time because I feel like something like anything goes it can sometimes get a bit lost in time. Mm-hmm. You can know that it's old-fashioned, yeah. but is it the turn of the century? Yeah. Is it the 30s? Is it the 40s, 50s? It, it kind of could yeah. slot in anywhere. So I think, you know, focusing in on that jazzy sound really plants it firmly. You know yeah. what the vibe is. Yeah. And it, it kind of helps contextualise people like Moonface yeah. and what Reno is. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it helps set them absolutely yeah yeah that was kind of the that's what we're going for yeah yeah it was very good especially in um the kind of musical segues Mm -hmm. uh between scenes because that was your kind of opportunity to yeah so we did lots of yeah so we made it quite (laughs) yeah it was quite playful and sort of uh, and i deliberately kind of let the um the sax player and the trumpet player kind of have a bit of leeway there and we made it quite sort of jazzy and mm-hmm. improvisatory which was improvisatory yeah, improvisatory i don't think i'm pronouncing that right um but yeah no it was yeah it was good fun and yeah gave me a nice chance to attempt to play some some jazz on the piano. if they ever black your eyes put me wise if they ever cook your goose turn me loose if they ever put a bullet through your your feelings thoughts on anything goes the show i to be honest i didn't really i obviously knew of it before before doing the job um but i'd never really got into it properly i wasn't actually aware of all the different versions and mm-hmm. uh, you know obviously you come across songs from from shows all over the place and in auditions and things but yeah i it was the first sort of encounter i'd had with with the score really mm-hmm. um uh, uh, it's a difficult one. It's because it's such an old, it's such an old show, especially the '62 version. It's such yeah. an old-fashioned script, um, and it is. It's very funny, and we did make uh, and we made quite a few changes to the script to to kind of to make it work for a smaller cast, basically. 
Um, so like we, you know, cut a few like random silos and, and consolidated them into into other parts, um, and tried to make it a bit slicker. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a when it's done right, I think you have this lovely this because it's a farce, it's a caper, and you have this great feeling that everyone is like stuck on this ship and uh-huh. they just keep bumping into each other yeah. randomly and and just hilarious. There's literally stuff six happening. guests on yeah. the ship. <laughs> yeah, well that's the, that's the problem with having yeah. Yeah, but that's fine. Ship with twelve people, exactly, and the band, exactly. uh, <laughs> famous cruise liner. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think so. I think that's kind of the heart of it, isn't it? It's, it's getting that that idea of like that cabin fever, claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Everyone just goes a bit nuts. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. But I think it has to be, especially when you're doing it nowadays. You have to. It has to be a bit tongue in cheek. I think. Oh, definitely. It, you were saying that you came a cropper when it came to the opening of Act 2. Came a cropper? Came a cropper. You don't know that phrase? <laughs> oh, come on. No, you can't do this to me because I always say these I phrases. I don't know that phrase. I really don't. And uh, Tommy is always like, that doesn't exist. I thought I'm like, you, it does. I'd misheard you. Came up a cropper. I'm just going to Giggle it to make sure I'm saying it because I don't have anyone to defend me. Came up a cropper. Came mean? up a cropper, came yeah, come a cropper to fail badly or to fall from a horse or have had a bad accident <laughs> in a vehicle. If outside buyers to suppliers lose faith, a company can come a cropper very quickly. She came an almighty cropper when her back <laughs> wheels hit an icy patch. This is educational. It is, thank you. Um, so you came a cropper with you. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <coughs> As in... Basically, you had problems with the opening of Act 2. Ah, uh, yes. It's always saying. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, it's always an education with Jimmy. It is, indeed. It is. Yeah, so for those who don't know, the, the opening of Act 2 in, in the 62 version... And is, the other as well. Is it the same, yeah. is it the same later? Yeah. Um, is it a song After that called... sick-ass on track. Yeah, which we can't... That's fine. Yeah. You had to. But actually, there was something nice about just... It's quite a... An unusual opening to just have yeah have the acapella so yeah so the opening is an acapella number called Public Enemy and it's basically I I think the story the idea is that there's a church service where mm-hmm. they're gonna what happens well they're basically it's it's like semi church semi nightclub yeah where Reno former um, nightclub now pastor that's it so because because um billy is currently pretending to be public enemy number one yes or has been outed yes quote, exactly unquote, as public enemy number when one. when he's just you know average joe stowaway he's just trying to yeah um and the, the a yeah. lot of the the vibe on the ship is that it's very dull because there's no celebrities yes so absolutely. they, they so want something exciting yeah so they can't get a better celebrity than, than a public enemy <laughs> master yeah. criminal um yeah. So, yeah, and I think that is, I think that's it. They never really say yeah. in the script. No, but, but I think, the, so the idea is it's like a hymn tune. They're singing about having Public Enemy number one on board. Yes. And the fact that now the ship's going to be crowded all the time because, but then I don't understand that line because it's like, well, surely he's only going on one journey. Yes. Like, it's not going to make a difference after he gets off. <laughs> he does a know. residential <laughs> skit. <laughs> like, just one, yeah. just this thing is just like putting his gun And this, people. and ultimately... It's a, it's a, just to, yeah to go back to like the uh-huh. show generally. This is something I think it happens a lot with a lot of 
musicals of this era is like you just keep encountering these little problems of like why but why does that bit of story happen like that yeah what's that person doing there why are they singing that and it becomes the challenge of the director and the creative team to to give like to smooth over the narrative a little bit and and give the actors reason and truth behind what Uh what they're doing yeah and i suppose and i think public enemy is an example of that so it's finding a way to use this hymn tune about a criminal Mm -hmm. in a creative way that sets the scene and for the rest of the act and you know finding a bit of humor in it and exactly yeah and i think in especially with these kind of pre-book musicals yeah yeah that happens all the time you know um and sometimes when, you know, the book gets updated, for example, if I'm thinking of like the, the original, anything goes the 34 version, um, we have instead of Let's Misbehave, you've got Gypsy and Me. Mm-hmm. And obviously Cole Porter's written Gypsy and Me at some stage. Just as a for band. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, I know where this will go. Let's give it to Yeah. What's it called? Uh, Evelyn. Evelyn. Let's give it to Evelyn. Evelyn. And um, in the book, they kind of shoehorn this thing that, like, actually, my mum was, uh, or my dad was a gypsy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's why I have this, like, sexy streak in me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because that's, because there's actually, there's a line, there are lines in the script of the 62 version that sort uh of, that explain, he talks about this, like, um, torrid affair he had with Plum Blossom. Plum Blossom, little Plum Blossom. When he was visiting yeah. China, and that and that's his way of explaining this sudden urge he has for Reno and something that he doesn't feel for his yeah. fiance Hope. Uh, yeah, it's peculiar, it's right? Peculiar. In neither of those songs, you would ever say, "I know who should sing them in the show." Yeah, Evelyn. Also, both stories are quite racist. Yes, in, in a way. Exactly. So, uh, Hooray! Yeah. Um, yeah. So to kind of bring it back to Public Enemy, um, I guess it does kind of make sense because it goes into Blue Gabriel Blow. Yeah, but, but also, again, you have this. Yeah. Yes, it, it does. You know what I mean? But it is it is a very odd one because I think I remember as well. Um, I know it's ages after. There was a similar thing in Pajama Game. Um, I don't really know Pajama Game well at all. That's all right. I was in it. That's the only reason that I really know it. Um, and they have the basically they they do like their company picnic and they mm-hmm. sing their company motto. And it sounds like it was just an excuse to do some like close harmony a cappella, which is fine, I guess. But it's odd. It's mm-hmm. an odd one. <clears throat> yeah, and I suppose you. Uh, yeah. There's an argument that I guess these musicals were originally conceived at a time where a musical was just that. It was just a musical comedy. You mm-hmm. think? Like there wasn't... The idea of actually having a through narrative was still a relatively new idea, I guess. Yeah. Like until sort of Oklahoma, Rodgers and Hammerstein uh-huh. stuff was... Uh, yeah. Kicking into play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if my timeline is like completely accurate on that in my head. But it's all right. That is it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny, and I guess as well because the opening of Act Two, you don't want to alienate your audience. Like we, we've talked about this before, that um, the Act Two Act Two is a tricky beast, mm-hmm. and you want to, you know, nail it well. Um, and you know, if you do open with something like Public Enemy, your audience come back in and 
it might, it might work in two favors. They might be like, this is intriguing. This is new. Or they might be like, what's going on? Yeah. They've run out of ideas. Yeah, I think we were hoping that it would be, uh, yeah, sort of sufficiently unusual yeah. as an actual note. So we, so we made the decision to, to cut the on-tracked and we had like a, a little sort of brass fanfare uh-huh. introduction while they sort of, as they got on on stage and then yeah. Public Enemy was like staged in a very still mm-hmm. manner. It was literally just sort of, it, it was almost like a, yeah, we discussed this at length and I think what we sort of settled on was, was almost fourth wall-y but not quite. It's kind of that they were all having their own thoughts about what this might mean having this public enemy on okay, board. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily a strictly uh-huh. a corporate religious thing. Yes. Yeah. Sounds very I'm trying to think of some really good direction for this obscure scene. Kind of, kind of yeah, direction there. Pretty yeah. much. Uh, take it into yourself. Well so yeah, well so we made it so because obviously and the other challenge you have with that number, especially in a small space, is is conducting it because it's a cappella and exactly. you know, like getting twelve people to sing a number like that in time that's not going to happen on on their own so it was we had to make a a, a choice uh, that meant they could look at uh, so I would literally yeah. sit in the balcony and conduct them and, and it was very clear that they were watching mm-hmm. that they were being conducted mm-hmm. so in that way it was kind of yeah, it yeah of I suppose sense. again and embracing the idea of like the band being part of the or the, the musicians being part of the yeah the um, mise-en-scene Beautiful. Uh, thank you. Beautiful. Did you learn that term in drama school? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Good. Excellent. Well done. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> no, it's very, 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 very true. Um, and it's one of those as well. Like, it's it's, it's very good. I think that's the thing is we need to get said. Like, the harmonies in it are very mm-hmm. rich and yeah. interesting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a very good... It, yeah, it's a very clever pastiche of a, of that style. Of exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, and it's also very short. Mm-hmm. So they're not they're not kind of making a meal of it. No. So in that way, I think it works. I like it. Yeah. It's good to sing. The bass part. I won't sing it for you now. <laughs> but I could. And then you have the issue of... So the next thing that happens is Bonnie coming on stage and being like, what's going on here? I yeah, thought this was a lounge, sad. not a chapel. Yeah. And singing Let's Step Out. And then it's like, what? Where, yeah, does, exactly. where does that come from? <coughs> so, yeah. yeah, full of... So in the 62 version... You have Let's Step Out and then Blow Gabriel Blow. Yeah. That's odd. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Let's Step Out, Let's Misbehave, Blow Gabriel Blow. There you go. There you go. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, I guess that makes more sense. Because yeah. if, if it went Step yeah, Out to Blow Gabriel Blow, that's too much. Yeah. And and also bear in mind that that Let's Misbehave is very short. It's kind of a, mm-hmm. a little sort of vignette. Uh-huh. As is Let's Step Out, actually. Although we wrote an extra dance break for that. Yes, that was very good. Taking the line 
one of the things I want to commend about your production, and I think it was your director's decision, was to bring in Take Me Back to Manhattan. Yeah. Which I think is really lovely. It's a great song. It's yeah. an incredible song. And, and it only exists in, in the 62 version. Yep. Um, it, it got cut after that, which is a shame, really. Definitely. It was yeah. really... It, it, it actually made it very... And this will sound strange, but it made it very musical theatre. Because it, it gave Reno a nice conclusion. Mm-hmm. It made yeah. it very human. It has more story, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 that was... Yeah, that was sort of... From the very... From before I got the job, that was the... That, that was, was a decision, and, and I, I totally stand by it. Because it that's what you said. You said that worked. was a, that was the reason why you wanted to do that version. The sixty-two yeah. was, was yeah. so we could t- bring that number in. And yeah. I, I completely agree. But I the think. problem is the the orchestration for it is. I'm probably going to piss someone off here, but it's just pretty terrible. So uh-huh. so we re, completely redid that orchestration okay. and started from scratch. Um, Writing new uh, dance breaks and stuff. Let's talk about that because so obviously a lot of people listening. Some may be MDs, some might not. Um, but as an MD, I, I, we said this when we spoke to Mr. Ormatius over in Great Comet. Um, in a lot of people don't really know what you do. They think it's just a case of like, da 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 da. There's your line. Good. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But when you get into the professional base. Um, you end up having to do a lot more, don't you? Yeah, well, it's, diff- it's funny because it's definitely a job that, that can change depending on the scale of the production and, uh-huh. and whether you have a sort of musical team or you just have, you know, an MD and a band. Yep. Um, so so for something like Anything Goes, which is, you know, small venues, it's fringe theatre, there's no... It was basically... So as a musical director, I was also acting as musical supervisor and mm-hmm. orchestrator and basically sort of anything musical was kind of my responsibility. Is that um, normally split up? So on big shows, uh, on sort of, you know, big tours uh, and West End Broadway shows, you yep. usually will have at least a supervisor mm-hmm. um, who kind of oversees the music of the show. Yep. That may or may not include orchestrating it or okay. hiring someone to orchestrate it. Or like supervising the orchestration that that can vary, mm-hmm. and then often you'll also have what we would call a fixer. They're usually officially called like orchestral managers. Okay, so that's someone else who's responsible purely for the admin of the band, and so right. hiring the musicians, making sure they get paid properly, yeah, making sure they if they're taking time off, they've got someone to cover them. Because cool. you know when you've got a contract that's for months and months and months, people are going to take yeah, you weeks you off here break, and there, yeah, and, yeah. and it's the the orchestral manager's responsibility. To to make sure the chairs are being so the chairs being the, the parts uh-huh. are being are being covered, um, and then you would have a musical director who would be conducting the show, uh-huh. looking after the cast, and then the musical director will also have an assistant, maybe also like an associate who mm-hmm. would conduct the show while the MD, they were away. while the MD was away or yeah. watching. So it's they're all quite, and all of these people fundamentally are going to have a similar core skill set but they mm-hmm. just have different experiences and, and different strengths. Mm-hmm. But the the lines are often quite blurred okay. on smaller shows in terms of like what's the supervisory role, what's the director role, what's yeah. the management role. And you ultimately end up having to do a bit of all of that really. Yeah. Um, on you know, a venue like the Gatehouse or Southwark Playhouse even uh-huh. or any of the sort of, yeah. More fringy venues. Fringy venues. Um, <coughs> to go into a bit more about orchestration, so... 
I'm sure a lot of people listening, and certainly I did before we were friends. Um, why, like, it, it, it would seem strange to me that you would need to change the orchestrations, to edit the orchestrations, to update, to fix and sort these things, mm-hmm. because you'd think, well, surely they're they're good. Do you know what I mean? Like, surely yeah. they're done. So why why would you need to? Well, often, <clears throat> often it's purely a, a a sort of producer financial thing of you just have less people in the band and you need to reduce it. Mm-hmm. But that's never as simple as just, oh, we'll cut the horns or we'll cut the trumpets or we'll cut the violin. Because you're going to lose lines. Because you're going to lose lines. So it's about. So I suppose on a purely practical level, it's about making the music work for the ensemble you have. Uh But I personally, and I think think a lot of orchestrators would agree that actually it's about more than that, really. And it's about giving your show an identity and making Mm -hmm. it sound like it was meant to be there mm-hmm. um yeah that no it does make sense so for example but, with anything goes it was you wanted to capture that jazzy sound yeah and yeah. it's also and it's sort of trying to make a, a 20 piece band or trying to make the sound of like a 20 piece uh-huh. big band with Out six players six people. yeah so and so for example i wrote a, a keys two part uh-huh. um which so keyboard two basically covering sort of helping to fill out any brassy, stringy stuff yep. and like any mallet percussion. Yeah, um, and that happens quite a lot, isn't it? They normally go to yeah, the Yeah, but of keys. course in 1962, you know, people, that wasn't a thing. Like, right. You didn't play keyboards exactly. on shows. You, had, you just had the orchestra. That's, uh-huh. that's what you had. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, then, and, and I suppose it also works the other way around as well. So sometimes you may, for example, if you're doing a production of something like, this is a really bad example, but say I was doing... Uh, like I don't know the last five years or something, but mm-hmm. in like a three thousand seat theater, yes, I might want to make that a little bit bigger. sound big, yeah, sound <laughs> a little bigger, more than just a forty. Um, yeah, I mean, and yeah. it's like you, you know, it's like whenever you see these concerts at the Albert Hall. Do you imagine the last five years in a theater? <laughs> it would be, venue? it would mean it would be terrible. It would be the worst <laughs> thing that ever existed. <laughs> I told you it was a bad example. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, so often it, yeah, it's about. So I suppose to to kind of try and put that in a nutshell, it's just about making the music work uh-huh. for the production you're doing okay yeah yeah that makes um, sense and where does it come in terms of like permissions and things like that like i don't as in are you allowed and we can cut this yeah yeah oh so i think anything goes had a thing of the rights holders when you sign the contract to to you know to, to get the rights to perform the show mm-hmm. You you basically I think you waive your rights to any orchestrations you do. So so all the orchestration work I did actually now belongs to, to them. Okay, cool. Yeah. I don't know how it works beyond that. Uh huh. Yeah. That seems to like it would make sense because it's you're not creating. No, and you're not writing they, a song for anything. So I think they now have if they wanted to, which I, I doubt would happen, but they would now have the right to distribute my orchestration uh-huh. so say if, the productions if they want to hey I'm a company and I have six I players to have the same band yeah, yeah they exactly they'd be like oh well uh, yeah I mean I think that's the theory I don't know if that ever happens but okay. in theory that, that could happen yeah. interesting interesting but basically anyway. yeah that, that makes sense that does make sense um, but I think it's interesting because that's very different from a directorial point of view do you know what I mean because I can't go in and you know really 
chop and change the script and you know yeah add in extra characters here to flesh it out or cut characters here because mm-hmm. it doesn't fit or wanted to capture a certain thing do you know what i mean um so i think that's quite nice that musically you have a bit more freedom yeah uh, yeah i think it it is the the flip side of that is that it means producers uh, and this is a you know problem that's happening more and more is yeah. bands are getting smaller yes so it means that producers are now more comfortable saying oh actually we're going to have just have three musicians here yes. like that's just and they're all going to be on stage and they're all going to be actors as well yeah yes. yeah so I, I had a chat with them um, when we were over doing the interviews for Great Comet um, one of my favourite ones actually was with um, the actor Musos mm-hmm. and so in Comet they're incredible first of all um, some of their tracks are ridiculous um, two accordion players Great. Who also play violin and are great singers and dancers great. and actors. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and anyway, so they, we had a really, really good chat and we, we kind of got into talking about the nature of theatre today and how, like, the actor Muso mm-hmm. is very like it's a lot better than what it's been presented as is that what i'm trying to say i think so for example in comet they were saying this show has been written for actor musos yeah there's a reason for them yeah, to be absolutely. doing what they're doing i think and i think it's yeah i think it's a tool yes that can be used remarkably well and there've been some stunning actor muso productions of shows i've seen before right but it's not it should not be used as an excuse to spend less money. Exactly, exactly. Um, and do not find that more and more, that's what it's particularly in tours and things like that you're seeing, and they just don't work. It just doesn't work. Um, and it's a, a worrying trend, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because it's, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's hindering in terms of... Uh, what you can do with your actual show. Do you know what I mean? A person can only do so much if they're walking around with a double bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it just in terms of the creativity, if, if everything you're doing is being controlled by the pocket, yeah, then it stops from doing a lot more things. And that's that's worrying. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It's worrying. Um, but more, you do, do you think you see it more on tours? Um, and things like that, where... They're a bit more of a money spinner than something that would be like West End off West End? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I suppose if you're doing it, well, certainly in the West End, if you're doing an actor muso show, uh-huh. there's got to be a good reason for it to be like that. And often there is. I mean, um, yeah, like School of Rock is, is a great example, of, yeah. which I saw recently and, and absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And, and it totally works because obviously it makes perfect sense. Yeah, you couldn't story. really not have that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I suppose there, yeah, maybe there is more of a trend out of outside of London to use it as a financial thing mm-hmm. rather than a, mm-hmm. an artistic reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, do you think it's harder? So I'm hitting you with all these difficult questions. But do you think it's harder then for actors? Do you think they're going to be feeling more pressure to learn three instruments? Yeah, I think so. so. They and, can and also, get work. And, and my my thing is. And I know some some wonderful actor musicians who are who are the 
absolutely the exception to this rule but yeah but like i've sort of it's kind of taken me it's taken me this much of my life to get any good at piano basically uh-huh. like and i'm by no means the world's best pianist at all like it's fine but i've had to spend all my life working on that exactly and and i'm sure a 25 year old actor probably feels the same about acting and or in singing and dancing it's like they've probably really spent all of their life getting getting to a professional standard yeah it's honing their craft so i'm not sure i I feel like it's very difficult unless you just happen to have incredible instincts i think i don't i don't know how i would have been able to do that and also get this good at get good enough at acting basically does Mm -hmm. that make any sense yeah yeah it does it does so i feel that yeah basically being a musician and being an actor being a performer they are both like life consuming disciplines Uh uh-huh so yeah i think ultimately you're there's always a risk that you may be sacrificing one or the other uh something's got to give yeah and and but i do i want to stress that that there are absolute exceptions oh completely i mean great comment i can completely vouch for all of them they're disgustingly sensational it's worrying to win (laughs) that you had the time to you know what i mean become prodigious on an accordion as well as learn to sing dance and act yeah but they did I'm very good at it, and but it's it's just I think it's a very interesting thing because it's a a weird trend that kind of has crept out of nowhere. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I I would love to properly look and see, and maybe some of our listeners will know as well. Like, because I know in my head, the first time that I ever saw Acta Musa was the 2008 Company. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel it must have happened before then, but I wonder if Company. And obviously the Sweeney Todd production that was on Broadway as well. I wonder if that just started to make the shift and now we're... Yeah, maybe. I know I saw Ragtime uh, recently at Charon Cross and, and yeah. thought it was wonderful. And they had Acta Muso? Yeah, like fully, yeah, massive cast of actors. Right. And it was great. Did it, was it, did it make artistic sense? Um, yeah, I liked it actually because I, I felt that it's sort of... What's, what stuck out to me was that musical instruments look really weird on stage. Yeah. Like they look very mechanical. And I think for that story, that there was something really nice about that, like the idea of, you know, being consumed by this machine. Okay. In, you know, because there's a lot of references to, like, industry. Yeah, and, of course, Henry Ford. and Yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing. And it was that time of the world, that time of history. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I enjoyed it for that reason. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I sometimes... Uh, that's one of those scores where... Mm. I also love hearing it played by like a 50 piece orchestra. Exactly. I know. So there were moments where I missed that a little bit. Yeah. But no, I thought it was a really special production actually. Mm-hmm. It did really interesting stuff with it. It's a stunning show. I really wish I saw that production actually. Oh well. And they they very much utilized the instruments as part of the set, which I think was Okay, that's smart good. As well. That's good. I think that's it is like it if you if you're going to do it, if you're going to make that decision, you need to infuse it into the show. It yeah. needs to be a part of it. Because if not, if it is literally just a way of cutting corners, yeah. it's stupid. Yeah. It is really stupid. Um, so yeah, that's good if they were doing it artistically. Well done, Team Ragtime. Um, and well done you for a fabulous Anything Goes. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, we had we had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a really good show. And it's, it is a really good show. Yeah. And it was a lovely, I mean, it was one of those experiences of just, you know, it was over Christmas, so obviously everyone would really rather be be at home with their families. But of course. because of that, you you know, everyone's sort of in it together and 
you know you form a little family and it was it was really nice like that exactly lovely place to work definitely yeah and go support go support the gatehouse because that was yeah. a, a great little theater and run by lovely people yeah in a nice pub absolutely so there you go. There you go. What more could what more could you yeah. want? Okay, well Danny, best of luck with the rest of Wedding Thank Singer. You. Um like I say, UK guys out there, go see it. It's really good. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't say that it's great. But yeah, it's it great. will be really good. Are you saying it's great? I'm saying it's great. Dancing it's great, guys. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. There you go. Oh, my dearie. You mean my sharia. And just what I... You mean part of me. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Did you enjoy that? Have you ever seen the SNL children theater skit? What the legally blonde red no, room version? There are so much better ones where it's like, Welcome to the so the Stevenson High School's annual spring play, written entirely by students. I ha is this the one where it's like doof, doof, Yes doof, doof, And then they'll yeah, be oh like, Are you racist? Wow Yeah. It's one of my that is a great one of my SNL favorite things on the internet. Fantastic SNL skit, but also the recent Red Room one uh, was. I like. I am so excited to do Legally Blonde <laughs> purely so we can discuss the Red Room production. <laughs> Who knew? I'm not even going to put it in the. Sh- I'm not even going to put it in the show notes yet because I'm saving. Who it. Who knew that joy. SNL was going to capitalize on like a deep inside joke? Um. By the way, I think the girls deserve rights. Yeah. I think they deserve some money. <laughs> Because it was just pure theft. Mm-hmm. Pure theft of that production. Oh, it's it's awful and hilarious. Give those girls their pay payments. <laughs> um, but anyway, anyway, we're talking about yeah. Anything Goes. Um, we've already now heard a significant amount <laughs> about Anything Goes. Um, but what I want to talk to you about, Mr. T, mm-hmm. is the, the grand battle of 1962... Versus 1987. So these are, what, two different librettos, basically? Yeah. Um, these these are the ones that you, if you were doing this mm-hmm. amateurly, uh, that you would have the choice of doing. Yeah. Um, and they kind of shape, well, have shaped the future production. Yes. Since. Yeah? Yeah, I would, yeah, um, I would say so. So let's go a little bit into the why for... Yeah. Um, of why these things. Yeah. Uh, so as as we mentioned, the 1934 version is crappy. Um, like, there's not a lot of thought. It, you know, there wasn't thought put into how the songs go and where the books go. So yeah, so it kind of harks back to right at the start. So if we go back to way back to 1934, mm-hmm. um, and it was kind of created for the voices of those that, of that time and for the talents of that time where you had kind of musical comics mm-hmm. as opposed to musical theatre actors. Right. 
right? Um, and then it was all kind of scrapped because of, um, it's quite horrible. Uh, there was a sinking of the SS Morrow Castle, um, which was a ship, not a castle. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think like many, many people died. Yeah. Um, and originally it was about a shipwreck. Right. And Do you know what I mean? They were going to get stranded on a desert island and blah, blah, blah. blah. And so they, um, maybe not the best time for that kind of... <laughs> exactly. Exactamundo. So, yeah, they updated it and changed it um, in 1962 um, for the off-Broadway version. Mm-hmm. Um, so this... Basically, I think it all began with a request to move I Get a Kick Out of You. Okay. Um, so that they didn't need to build the extra set. Mm-hmm. So in the original version and in the eighty-seven version, it starts in a nightclub for some reason, Ridiculous. and um, yeah, exactly. And Billy meets up with Reno, um, and is like, "Oh, I just saw this girl on a cab, um, and I'll never see her again. Um, it's quite sad." And then I think finds out that. Uh, she's on the ship or something, mm. something like that. Because uh-huh. Reno's going on the ship and she's like, come on board, let's do it. Um, and then she sings, I get a kick out of you to Billy, which is odd. Yeah. We can discuss that later. Um, and then as kind of time went on, they decided to add some more Cole Porter songs mm-hmm. in. Um, I think take that, some out. that was a big motivation too, is like, we're not, we're doing this sh- show now or in the 60s to showcase mm-hmm. these Cole Porter songs. And so songs that I totally associate with Anything Goes were not actually in it. So, like, Friendship is not in the original libretto. Um, mm-hmm. It's the Lovely was not in the original libretto. Um, a couple other things. Some of the lesser ones. Let's Misbehave ends up in the 63 libretto. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, that feels like a big motivating factor behind it, too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um and then um, the 1987 version happened, mm-hmm. which wanted to call back more to the original. So kind of kept the script in the shape of that mm-hmm. um, a bit more, but obviously tightened it up and fixed a few bits. Um, and a lot of the new songs from 62 mm-hmm. um, kind of got scrapped. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, like, but some of them stayed, like, say, like, friendship, things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the basic history. Um, and they both have very different vibes to them. Yes, they do. It's, um, it's very strange to listen to just recordings of the two different versions back to back. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was, the one that I was in was the 87. Okay. And see, um, I think I saw a version in my high school, and I think they did the 62 version. Mm-hmm. And Dan's version was obviously the 62 yeah. version as well. Um, so I think, I don't know. I've tried to do some research about this and tried to find out, like, which is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to say. Do you know what? It's really hard to say. Yeah. Um, it almost literally comes down to what songs do you prefer? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's almost the decision you make. Yeah. Um, well, th- I mean, it feels like that's the only decision you make. Because what else are you going to make the decision based on? Which one has a more convincing plot? <laughs> like, Yeah, no, I, no, I guess. But, like, because the, even just the, the, I think the vibe of the 62 version mm-hmm. is more capery. It does feel, and it feels whereas, more hopeful and show-tune-y. Yeah, def- definitely more show-tune-y. Um, 
Whereas the 87 version mm-hmm. is a bit more, I know it sounds strange to say, but it's a bit more story focused. Yeah. And there's a bit more, well, yeah, a little bit more character development um, in it. There's d- more characters in it. It, it, feel, um, it feels more based in reality than like the 62 version. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. Like, and not like you know, this is all ridiculous to begin with. But they they try to justify how we get from A to B. Um, yeah. Whereas like sixty two, who cares? <laughs> like we're gonna sing this right. song. There might be a sentence that introduces it, but really the orchestra is just gonna start playing, and I'm gonna start singing. Right. Exactly. I mean, the fact that in sixty two you've got both the heaven hop mm-hmm. and um, let's step out, which are literally the exact yep. same number. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that's fine. a number that I did not know until doing research for this is cut from both of them. Have you ever listened to "Where Are the Men"? I have not. Is it anything <laughs> like "Bring On the Men" from Jekyll? Uh, I would say it's like nothing I had ever heard before, and excellent. It's not a shame that it was cut. <laughs> oh, so wait, what? What? Why? Talk us through it. Uh, it's. I think Bonnie's singing, but who knows? I was mm-hmm. listening to it in the car and was yeah, like, it was, "What is this?" It was replaced. It was replaced. It was by, replaced by the Heaven Hop. Um, Heaven Hop. Um, yeah. And it's it's like, how dare you arrange a cruise like this filled with ladies? Where are the men? We want okay. men is the basic plot. Like it's it's very much a Cole Porter song. It's very much a Cole Porter song. <laughs> Cole Porter is singing from his gay little heart. Yep. Uh, Excellent. Um, That's beautiful right? though. I kinda love but that. But isn't that great? No, it's the one of the most fascinating things I found listening through this, Cole Porter songs have very specific structures, as do a lot of songs from the day. Um, mm-hmm. which always includes a an introduction like an introduction mm-hmm. phrase or passage that you never hear in the Frank Sinatra recording or that gets cut from revivals that just want to do the pop version of the song. Um, yep. You know, you get, like, you'll get De Lovely's, um intro, but some other things you will just have never heard before. You know, I've probably exactly. listened, I think I've listened to six or seven different recordings of um, Anything Goes now, and I wouldn't be able to tell you which is which because they're all in different <laughs> orders and they all have different songs. Yeah. I think, yeah, because, for example, like, I think a really good example of the introduction is in um, uh, I Get a Kick Out of You. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I think most people, if you said, sing I Get a Kick Out of You, and they go like, I get no kick from cocaine. Right. But they wouldn't know that it starts with, my story is much too sad to be told. Right. Do you know what I mean? They wouldn't know that. Yeah. And it's, the crazy part is the introductions, I think, more than anything else, are the pieces, especially for the songs that were originally written for Anything Goes, are the ones that contextualize the song in the plot of the musical. Yeah. Like, De Lovely, The Night is Young, The Sky is Clear, so if you want to go walking, dear, it's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. Yeah. That's about where... Is there... I wonder if... Mm-hmm. That is an introduction. Uh, the introduction to De Lovely is the... Um, I feel a certain urge to sing, the kind of... Yeah, which actually has less to do with the plot. It's actually almost entirely meta. Um, and like, while well, you yeah. crucify the verse, this verse, and like, let's not sing the song, uh-huh. let's just sing the refrain. Yeah, it's, it's kind of them just kind of like coyly flirting, I guess. Yeah, but, or is it the performers joking around for the audience? You know, we, there, uh-huh. there is no assumption of verisimilitude, verisimilitude in the original 1934 version. And so they yeah. could literally turn to the audience and be like, ha wink, wink, nudge, nudge. 
you know, just sing the refrain. Um, Very true. Although it does. And I want, mm-hmm. I wonder if these, I don't know, I, I haven't seen this anywhere, so it's purely conjecture. Uh-huh. But I wonder if these kind of interlude starts were written for the musical. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there's so many, you know I mean? there's so many alternate lyrics throughout the whole thing. Like how many versions of You're the Top is there? I wouldn't be surprised yeah, exactly. if there are particular intros, even just written for particular performers. Um, mm-hmm. Fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard. When I think about which do I prefer, mm-hmm. um, I always come up a cropper because there's like, you know, there's just moments in each that yeah. you're like, ah, oh. I, you know, I I have less of a problem. I like the 62 better. Um, you like the 62 better? Because if... I think... In, mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. If, if the 87 is, you know, more plot-based in big air quotes, um, that's not... I don't like anything goes for its plot. People don't do anything mm-hmm. goes for its plot. 196, the 1962 version is a version that understands what this musical is. Yeah. Um, and just goes for it. Um, yeah. You know, the, it feels like the 1987 is pretending a little bit, maybe? I Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. Um, it's weird that I think in true Jim and Tomic style, I'm going to go with the other. Yeah. Um, but probably just because I was in yeah, it, so feel I've got it. all that nostalgia and affection. Yeah. Um, I do like, I think I prefer the harmonies mm-hmm. in 87. Like the harmonies That's in true. Blow Gabriel Blow. Like Blow Gabriel Blow, 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 Blow is a great example mm-hmm. Because they're so different. Yeah, they're very different. They're yeah. so different. You know, to be um, to be honest, if I were like doing this in a high school, I'd probably pick and choose. You know, I'd probably uh, yes. Uh, like if if I'm not gonna have MTI knocking down my door or whoever owns the rights to this, I'd probably get both and you know <laughs> build your own anything goes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I think it's one of those like, you know, we're not miles away from it becoming out of copyright. Right. So yeah, like. You know, well, and there's. I always uh, wonder about things like that. The when I was in high school, we ran into this problem with Hello Dolly, um, which uh-huh. certainly is not as like splintered and fractured as anything goes. But there are yep. two big versions of every song that Dolly sings. One right. written for the movie, one written for the stage play, and yep. uh, Carol Channing and Barbara Streisand's voices are very, very different. And so they're not, are they? <laughs> It's like literally one was written in the treble clef and one is written in the bass clef. No joke. Um, so wait, you can you can perform the different versions? Well, officially unclear, but I th- okay. I th- my understanding is when you buy the rights, they send you um, the full on uh, Carol Channing version with uh-huh. some alternatives for her lo- her solo songs. Okay, but when she has chorus numbers in like um, "Put on Your Sunday Clothes," it's still yeah. in the Channing key, and there's n- okay. not an alternative unless you yeah. like track down something else and rewrite. And so, like uh-huh. the the script we got was an, an amalgamation puzzle piece sort of that's score really because you yeah. j- you know it's a practicality thing, and it's also yeah. like that's the sort of thing. Were were I a high school teacher, I mean, I am a high school teacher, were I a high school teacher doing Hello Dolly, I would make those choices again. And if MTI came knocking my door down, I'd be like, hey, listen, this is, I think you're in the wrong here. Like, we are staying, you're, you're guarding copyright and author's intent, and I'm sticking to that. I also have high schoolers who need to sing. 
Um, right, exactly. I also, exactly. I always question that threat of publishing companies knocking your door down. I know. Like who? Are, I have heard of it happening though. Yeah. Everyone, every, everyone's heard of it happening. No, no, no. Well, I've seen it. Happen. Okay. Yeah, happened in Glasgow. The the theatrical rights worldwide police. Exactly. No, they did get in touch. Um, in fact, no, I've seen it twice happen. Yeah. Do 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 do. Yeah. Um, so it can happen, but yeah. If you're gonna build your own, anything goes. Do so at your own risk. Exactly. That's that's, that's the the final line. On that and one. soon it's plain. You've won my heart and I've lost my brain. It's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. Life seems so sweet that we decide it's in the bag to get unified. It's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. See the crowd at the church. See the proud parson propped on his perch Hear the sweet beat of the organ sailing my dear There goes the groom, how they cheer And how they smile as we go galloping down the aisle It's divine, dear. it's to be near It's to wunderbar, it's to victory It's to follow, it's to vinna It's to vice, it's to lovely They settle down, okay. It wouldn't be a Jim Atomic podcast if we, if, if we didn't talk about something talk hairy. About, exactly. <laughs> um, we've not talked about race in a while, though. And we're going to do it during Anything Goes? Absolutely <laughs> we are. Um, and that's that's the thing. That's the thing about these wonderful shows mm-hmm. is you have the best time and then there's just these little things that you're like, oh, yeah. and you're like, oh, why are you marring everything? Oh, that was, yeah. It's that it, you know? per- perfectly parodied in Drowsy Chaperone. Um, yes. To wonderful extent, a couple times. Um, yes. During Cold Feet and the whole not Act Two opener, um, like we love the musicals, and there's some really problematic parts. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. I feel like um, I feel like Drowsy mm-hmm. is parodying Anything Goes I, yeah, many times. Very, very much I mean? so. The fact that you know Billy Crocker and Moonface yeah. were written for two massive. Comedians yep. at the time, yeah. Um, you know all of the back and forth mishaps that go well, on and spit takes. How many, like, how many songs in anything goes? Could you start with and be like, the music is just beautiful. Try not to listen to the lyrics. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Be like the bluebird is our monkey on a pedestal. <laughs> Do you know? What I mean? <laughs> like, um, but race. So this I found fascinating in the research. Mm-hmm. So. Did you know it used to be even more racist than what it was now? That's baffling to me. I'd, right, I like exactly. understandable and baffling. Right. So, they, I'm not. I'm not going to say the word, mm-hmm. but you can fill in the blank. Um, re- in um, anything goes. You know that song. Um, we have when ladies fair who seek affection prefer. Derogatory C word for African Americans of dark complexion as Romeos. Anything goes, and mm. there you go. Yep, <laughs> and it's always uh It's no good. The heart of the line is like, "What a wonderful time we live in, where the white race. girls want to date black men." Like that's what she's saying. She's like, "Oh, exactly. anything. What a great time, you know." But <laughs> no, no Completely. good. Um, I read actually about Cole Porter. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently he 
was kind of very much into um, and wasn't a stranger to going and um, finding uh, black male escorts Mm -hmm. um, to partake in, um, but not in a not in a very not in a derogatory way. Like he wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything sordid about it to him. Mm -hmm. It was just. You know, right. this is something that I'm I'm into. Um, but then, interestingly, when his friend... Let's see if I can find the name. Um, oh, yeah, here's, here's, for example, here's another set of lyrics. This is for um, his 1929 song called My Harlem Wench. Yep. Um, oops. It's gone. Hang on. Um, the lyrics are, When for red hot kisses I'm thirsty, then my thirst I've just got to quench. But the more I take, the more I ache for my Harlem wench. So that's good, isn't it? Um, and oh, there's more. There's just a lot of bad ones. Um, but no, his friend, where is it? Do, do, do. Yes. So he had a friend called Monty Wooly. Which is a great name. It's a great name. Um, and Monty Willie took uh, a black servant as his lover. Huh. And uh, Cole Porter was very against this because he considered it to be beneath um, Monty Willie's class. It's so... Like... Odd. Right? <laughs> like, I wonder... I don't know if I will ever be able to, like, understand some race relation things in the twenties, thirties and forties, like some, like you go back and forth between things that are like, wow, what a progressive, wonderful stance you have that you just filled with words that we've decided are really, really offensive nowadays. Um, and like, it's, you know, the, the thing that is, I think is difficult to tap dance around. Um, (laughs) pun intended. I like that. Um, That's very good. Is like, this is very racist. We see yep. that now. At the time, none of it was considered racist. And I say that not as a way to excuse it, of course. But yep. it, it is... It, that's the reason. That's the... Right. And what I think I say it as a reason to say, like, yes, the lyric is racist. Make sure you read the whole thing. You know? Read it... Understand that we see it as racist now, but know that their intent wasn't to be... Because, like, if someone used that C word today, just like if someone uses the N word today, they're intending to be racist. And that's where their message stops. Um, Yes. In this time, they're, you know, when ladies fair who seek affection prefer of dark complexion, they're saying Mm -hmm. something else there as well. And it doesn't excuse it. It's it's fascinating. It's so multi-layered. And I will never, it's, I think I'll spend my whole life sorting it out. Exactly. It's, it's a total historical thing. You need the context of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm sure in 50 odd years, 50, 60 odd years, you know, people might look back on our time yeah. and be like, God, why did people ever say anything about gender back then? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, knows? we're, I'm yeah. sure on a daily basis, we're making similar mistakes. Um, exactly. That future generations um, will frown upon, even with yeah. the best of intentions. You know, completely, completely. Um, so let's let's talk about a bit more um, 
of what's going on and anything goes. So there's a couple of big moments. Mm-hmm. Um, if you um, have seen Millie, mm-hmm. Thoroughly Modern Millie, mm-hmm. I feel like, again, this is where they've got this from. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, like, is this a standard? I mean, in so, the, so the Millie musical is a recreation of the movie which comes from a more casually racist time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the, the right, descriptions... Okay. Of uh, Mrs. Mears and the her her two cronies. Um, yep. In like, have you ever read the libretto of Millie? No. Okay. No, I've 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 seen it many times, I, but I've never. I really so uh, Millie has how would you describe it? A uh, very very racist character who is pretending yeah. to be vaguely Asian. Um, uh huh. Like, um, and runs a laundromat. Yeah, with a, a she hires right. Uh, what Bun Fu and Ching Ho? Okay. Um, who are actually Chinese and speak Chinese throughout the yes. thing. Um, to a comedically subtitled effect. Um, yes. And and then in the musical, do a version of Mammy. Yes, which like we're so many layers deep in. <laughs> But we're not talking, yeah. we can't get on right. to Millie but, because I have so many opinions about that. My my point being, the description of Mrs. Mears in the libretto for Thoroughly Modern Millie is fascinating and absolutely okay. worth a read if you've ever found that part problematic. It does, mm-hmm. I think, a really good job of explaining why this character is in this show. Um, because, you know... It, it's got some really progressive, smart, creative team in the writing behind it. Like, it's yeah. There's but then that's but that's the thing is, I, I, I guess yeah, I guess. But the, yeah, but basically the the reason the thing that confuses me is the the idea of the two cronies. Right. So that's what we've got in anything goes here. We've got they're not cronies necessarily, but they become gangsters. Yeah. Um. So they um, way back in the original, um. The characters of Brother Luke and Brother John um, were called Ching and Ling. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are uh, basically two um, Christian converts uh, who become gambling addicts on the boat. You know, that, that <laughs> happens as, all the time. As you do. <laughs> as you do. Um, and uh, basically we're so much broader um than what we see now yes thankfully um so i mean back then you know they, they did many i'll link you to a good article that describes it all but um you know they really made fun of the language and um you know it's it's really it's just offensive yeah basically yeah. um and they've updated it <laughs> for the newer version obviously um Obviously and thankfully, but still, it's not gone. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of where it's a bit like, yeah. ah. Yeah. Um, and it is one of those, because, like, the, the, the argument is, the counter argument is, it's a period piece. You want to stay true to the original text. Yeah. But we're like, to what end? <laughs> to, to remember yeah. this racist past we had? Right. To perpetuate it? Like... And where does that exactly. line draw, you know? I know, and that's the thing, is like, I feel if you're going, if you're taking it through this many rewrites... Yeah. Just rewrite it. Just rewrite it. Do you know what I mean? They don't... You could, they could be from anywhere. They don't need to be from China. Yeah. 
you don't need the joke Indochina outdoor China. Right. Like you don't you don't need yeah. that. But it's such there a There are many it's other jokes. Such a funny joke and that's the problem. It's a really yes. funny joke. Yeah, I know, but like to to have all of that yep. I know. I know. for but one tiny joke. This is that's those are those are the like the the voices you'll hear in the writing room. Like I am sure the super racist version of these characters in the 1930s was hilarious. Oh, completely. And the thing is, is like New York was a very different time back then. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The Asian, there the, was not nearly the amount of Asian Americans in, in New York yeah. as there are now. Yeah. If there was any, I don't, I don't really know much about the history. Um, but you know, this would, it, they would seem exotic. Right. And, exactly. Um, like fascinating, something that you can laugh at because like, oh, ho, 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 they're different. Right. It's like um, far away from who we are and that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. like, doesn't make it good. My goal is not to justify it, but there, I always end these things with but. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to cut funny, no matter how offensive it is. It's hard to cut funny. I know. I know. But yeah, it's so fun. I think this is really interesting because, like, um, if we think back to Miss Saigon and we're talking about mm. the same thing, we're both arguing different points, and now we're arguing different points again. Yeah, um, is it is it's just a tricky one. I just feel like you could you can still be funny. You can think yeah. of something. Yeah, like there's no there's no song that's about being Chinese. Right. It, there's no it's plot such an point er- about erroneous it. part of the whole story. Yeah. it comes out of complete left field. Yeah. Um, and obviously is kind of integral in inverted commas to the ending, but also isn't it's not, in many ways as well. Like you just need to be in disguise. Right. Like it's, it's really tricky. I find it very yeah. tricky. And I think every production meets this like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and then, this bit. and you get, you get something like anything goes, which is often performed, you know, by Amdram high school, college community exactly. theater. Yeah. yeah, yeah where yeah. like, they're not they're not doing the thing we do where you sit down with the script and they're like, Oh yeah, this no, we gotta mm, tread lightly here. They're like, Oh well, that's what the script says, gotta do it. Um Right. And this is a problem. I know. One of the things I will say, if you're directing this show, um, at no point does um it ever say put on a really bad Chinese accent. Um mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to do it. Yeah. Let's let's <laughs> like, let's they've go with the language so you don't need to do let's that. Let's go with very likely in your life, you will never need to put on a really bad Chinese accent. Exactly. Um, so don't do it in theater. Um, tricky, 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 tricky. Um, interested to know what people think about that because, you know, is it, do you do it for comedy? Is it fine? Right. Mm. I don't know. It's the same as like stand up comedy. Yeah. Where's the line? I don't know where the, where's the line? Yeah. I think, I wish like, this is where I wish, Whoever publishes this would just fix it. Make the decision for... Right. It's been through so many revisions. Yeah. Just do it. Just change just it. Just fix it. It's 2017. You're not cutting... You're literally not cutting any part. Yeah. It's 20... You're it's changing a little. 2017. late and while I wait, my poor heart aches on. Why keep the brakes on? I feel quite sure Rompere more would be attractive while we're still active. Let's misbehave. You know my heart is true, and you 
And obviously, they couldn't get enough just, you know, being racist against Chinese people. They also want to be racist against the Romanies. This is... It baffles me that this is the one that made it through. Um, Uh It's not a good song. It's not... It's not a good Cole Porter song. It's not a song that, like, Frank Sinatra does a cover of. Um, <laughs> we all wonder why, you know? Um, yeah. And it's what, like, uh, like. yeah. So the song is called Gypsy and Me. Um, it's important to acknowledge that the Romani people don't like being called gypsies. Um, yep. We're going to say it a couple times now because it's the name of the song. Um, exactly. Um the song is well it's had two incarnations you'll find it in the 87 version mm-hmm. um and this is the incarnation it's in now um where evelyn mm-hmm. is um starting to fall in love with reno um and talks about times when he was wild and young mm-hmm. um because his um mother stepped out with a gypsy one time and uh Therefore, he's got some gypsy in him, like, um, it, <laughs> which makes him wild and unabandoned. This is the problem I have with this song. This one is racist, and like the other bits are maybe accidentally or inadvertently racist for the time period. Yeah, this is the 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 plot is based in a racist assumption. Yeah, completely. It's pure stereotype. Yeah, but the fact, like, it was in the 2011 revival. Um, yeah, no one raised their hand and were like, Mm-mm, "No, no." I think you know what we're talking about. Like, in 50 years' time, you look back and you realize, "Uh oh." Um, I feel like this kind of thing uh-huh. um, is we're gonna look back and realize, "Oh wait, this is actually a community of people." Yeah that we don't really know anything yeah. about that we're making fun of. Because, like, on British TV, we had a program called My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is about um, looking into the Romani community and, you know, just making fun of them. It, it's it's we it's very weird. Yeah. It was an extremely popular show. Yeah. And, like, Do so you know what I mean? in the song Gypsy and Me, the, the point is, like, at least in the, the revival version, is... Evelyn's trying to justify that he has a little, like, he's got a wild side. Um, mm-hmm. Very much, I would say very much about sex. Yeah? Right. Implied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that the reason is because his grandmother once had sex with a gypsy. Yep. The, that's, it's disgusting. <laughs> that's how it works, though, right? It's that's dis- how- <laughs> it, like, makes my skin crawl. Um, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, no, completely. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's baffling. Again, why can't you just change these things? Like, there's alternatives. Do Let's Misbehave. Right, yeah, cut this song. It's a great song. Yeah. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's a really good song. And it's the sort of thing, um, like, maybe if, you know, if you're on the fence or if you're struggling about it, replace Gypsy with any other kind of, you know, people grouping. Um, and this song becomes intensely offensive you know don't think i'm so uh-huh. boring at one point my grandmother stepped out and had sex with a black man like right right exactly how super oh offensive um completely and it's mm, no good 
Don't do this no song. <laughs> Let's misbehave is so much better. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just it's just better. It's a better Cole Porter but song. I, I, it fits I, the plot better. Yeah. I think, but I'd like to say I think this is the kind of thing that people don't really realize is racist yet. Yeah. I, Which is is odd, but in the same way that there's still biphobia, there's still transphobia. Yeah, I guess that's true. Everywhere you go. Um, you know, these things that us woke people, um, and I said that in inverted commas, Thank I know you. you can see it, but they're, <laughs> there they are, can you feel them? Um, us woke people yeah. um, are aware that, oh, wait, people get offended by this. Yeah. I don't want to say well, it. And, um, and it's even, yeah, what I find so difficult to believe is it's not that people get offended by this, it's that it is offensive. Um Mm-hmm. And you know we shouldn't. Right. Okay. We yeah, shouldn't stop yeah. doing racist things because people get offended by them. We should stop doing racist things because they're offensive. Um, yeah. A- a- and this one is just so blatantly offensive. At least from my perspective, it's a struggle for me to think. You know, maybe, maybe in 1987 I'll give that a pass. Mm-hmm. But in 2011, uh-uh. I know. Uh-uh. Don't do this song. Throw it away. We gotta. We gotta check ourselves yeah. in this day and age. Put it in the put it in the trunk of songs we don't sing anymore. And just sing Let's Miss Behave. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no reason not to. Um, you could literally swap them yep. and it would be fine. Yep. And it's a song that people know. They think he's gangster number one, so they've made him the favorite song and that goes to Tommy, that was anything goes. That was anything. Anything went. Anything went. <laughs> that was me doing a foghorn. I hope you got it. Um, big thank you to Dan Dan Glover. Huge thank you. Yeah. Um, go follow him on Twitter and stuff. Let know. Um, go see his show. He'll appreciate all of these things. Um, thank you so much to Danny, my best friend. Isn't that nice? That's real sweet. It's good that you have friends, Thanks. Jimmy. I know. Do you have any? No, none. That's all right. You should. Uh, you should try it. Yeah, you're quite good. I I yeah, hear I mixed reviews. <laughs> mixed reviews. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Tommy, I really want to know what we're doing next week. Oh. Well, I have a quiz question for you. Oh, thank goodness. You ready? Yes. This musical stirred something of a controversy on Broadway. Although it had many positive reviews, the following critic did not speak so highly. And here's a quote from that review. Mm-hmm. The only reason this musical has made it to the Great White Way is the Great White Guilt. <laughs> what show? A controversial musical? Yep. How dare you? I don't, <laughs> there is not such a thing, yeah, we, we And we don't talk about stuff like that ever. No, never. We like to go middle of the road. It's the sound of music. Um, <laughs> I spoiled it. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, but then there's plenty to talk about there too. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can come find me over on Twitter at as in Hendrix or over on YouTube at the exact same name. And I'm Musical Mash on Twitter and Musical Theater Mash on YouTube. Or the show Twitter is Jim and Tomic and our website JimandTomic.com, which is linked to the Reddit discussion where you can talk about this show. Exactly. Um, please tell all of your friends all about us. That'd be very nice. And if you feel so inclined, pop over and leave us a review as well. Boom sauce. 
boom sauce. Boom sauce. Ooh. You put it on your chicken wings and it goes boom when you eat it. Excellent. Um, and on that note, <laughs> we'll see you, we'll next, see you week. next week. <laughs>